0: found on the other side we're looking at the story of Joshua and this is the taking of Jericho we've been building up to this the final battle and it happens today and so we need to uh, take a look and see what happens the story is disquieting it's shocking and yet at the same time it's glorious because it teaches us about a God who is holy a God who is just and a God who is merciful it been said that God created man in his own image, and man right away tried to return the favor. But God is not in our image, we are in his. And in the story, we learn a lot about who God is, and how he deals with issues like sin, and how gracious he is to his people. This is Joshua 6, 6-27. through 27. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven people bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed man pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark. While the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of Ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpet continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will live, because she hid the messengers who were sent. But you, keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all of the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as he swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside in the camp of
1: Israel. And they burned the city with fire, earth the it
0: only silver. saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. The word of the Lord. I've been out of town, but I hear, is there another storm brewing? Has anyone heard of this? Is this supposed to be another one of these monster Himalaya type storms, or just a normal Titan. Titan, that's a good name for it. Oh, it's, a, it's a small storm. It's called Titan. <laughs> a little Titan. You know, storms, it's, you know, if you'd asked me about our weather patterns in uh, November, December, I would say, oh, we are having such a mild winter. It's great. You know, but January, February, it's like, boom, you know, the skies open up. Nature has a way of kind of balancing itself out at the end of the day. Now, I used to run a car wash company. And running a car wash company is kind of like farming. You make all your money on Saturday and Sunday. So I really, really wanted it to rain on Monday, Tuesday. And I did not want it to rain on Saturday and Sunday because you could have these massive days, you know, huge days of making money. And so I was like the farmer, fretting in the sky, you know, wondering, oh my gosh, oh no, not again, not again. You know, like three weeks in a row. But I'd always discover that it would balance out in the end because there seems to be a sort of constant in the universe, whether it's car washing, or weather, or in fact life. It was Isaac Newton that said the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. See, Newton was aware there was this vast design that was throughout the universe keeping it in harmony and balance. They had discovered scientists over 100 what they call anthropic constants that actually exist and have always existed. Why? They don't know why. But the very fact that these constants have always existed are what allow life to grow and change and shape. They haven't evolved, they've always been. Without them, there wouldn't be life. Let me give you an example. The 23-axis tilt of the Earth is just right. If the tilt were altered, slightly surface temperatures would be too extreme on Earth. Gravity, if the gravitational force were altered by point oh 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 no one percent our sun would not exist and we wouldn't either. Centrifugal force. If the centrifugal force of planetary movements did not precisely balance the gravitational forces, nothing could be held in orbit around the sun. If the universe had expanded at a rate one millionth more slower than it did, expansion would have stopped and the universe would have collapsed on itself before any stars had formed, if it had expanded faster than no galaxies would have formed. Any of the laws of physics can be described as a function of the velocity of light, now defined to be 299,792,458 meters per second. Even a slight variation in the speed of light would alter the other constants and preclude the possibility of life on Earth. There are constants in this universe. There is a way that things work in the physical universe that guarantees the existence of life. And the question I want to ask before you is this. Are there constants in humanity? Is there some sort of immutable constants that help to bring humanity, our morality, the way we live, the way we function, not our respiratory systems... But our sociological systems, our moral systems, is there some sort of constant that helps to keep us in balance? In other words, is the universe fair? Is God fair? The one thing that this story shows us is that God is overwhelmingly terrifying. And yet there is overwhelming hope for anyone. I want to answer to you, This answer that maybe has been perplexing you for some time. Is God fair? No. He's not. See, right now, you may be asking the question, Why did God destroy the Canaanites and save Rahab? I want you to ask a different question. The question isn't, Why did God destroy the Canaanites? The question is, Why did He save the Israelites? In fact, why did He save anyone? Is God fair? No. Thank goodness. Because in addition to judgment of God, there is hope for mercy. There was a woman here and her family, Rahab, who recognized what was happening. She saw the storm that was coming, and she chose to rest in the eye of it. She rejoiced in a Redeemer, and somehow she escaped the wrath that was to come. Are there constants in this world? Absolutely. There will be a time when all will stand before God and the question is, what will we receive? Mercy or judgment? If you are a Christian, my friends, if you have relied upon the mercy of God, we do not need to fear the present or the past or the future. Our circumstances may feel uncertain, but our salvation is not. And so like Rahab, we must do three things in this story. Number one, we must recognize the storm. There is a storm that is coming. Judgments from God. Number two, we must rest in the eye of the storm, find a place that is safe. And number three, we must rejoice in our Redeemer, the one who can give us rescue from the storm. Well, let's look at these points. Number one, recognizing the storm. Now again, why are the Israelites here, in front of Jericho, after all of this time? God has said, I'm going to give you this land, and lo and behold, they stop in front of the most fortified city in Canaan land. Genesis 15 where God promises Abraham, you I've chosen out of everybody else, and I will make your nation great, and I will give you a land. And this is while uh, uh, Abraham was wandering through the promised land. It wasn't his, but God says, you however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. <clears throat> Why did Abraham not get to go in at that time and take the promised land? Because the sin of the Amorites had not reached its full measure. Now this statement tells me a couple things about God. Number one, there's something called sin. And number two, God is calculating it and computing it. There is a measuring that is going on. A certain point in which you reach no more. And God has said... So why is it that God is giving the land to Abraham? Is it because Abraham is more righteous than the Amorites? No, God is giving the land to Abraham because the sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. I don't know if you've studied much about ancient history, but we tend to have a very sanitized version of it in in our history books and so forth. This culture, the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Jebusites, and all of these particular folks were quite a a, a group of people. In fact, if you go to any culture where the Bible is not built into the fabric of it, you will discover that there is a baseline of decency that does not exist. Go to a place around the world where the Bible does not exist and look at the state of women there. Look at the state of of, uh, safety for people who are weaker. Look at classism there. Look at all of these things. They don't exist. What exists is might makes right. And so these Amorites, who, they followed other gods. They followed Baal. They followed Moloch. They had their own things that they needed to do to appease their gods. So when they would build a house, they would go ahead and sacrifice one of their children. And they would stuff them into the foundation walls. In essence, a token, an offering. Look, I worship you, I give you my son, therefore watch over my house. They were bloodthirsty. They were killers, might made right. They were sinners. All sin at the end, all the manifestations of sin, come against one commandment. You know the Ten Commandments. It was Martin Luther that said all the breaking of the Ten Commandments the other nine is simply because he broke the first. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Shall not bow down or worship anything else. You see, number one, when I hate my brother, when I choose to hate him, I'm breaking the first commandment, which is to love God. And God says to love my brother, right? Well, God, I don't want to obey you, I want to obey me. And as soon as I make myself number one, all the commandments change. And the sin starts to compute. What's well, in for the Amorites it does for all people. Jesus in Matthew 12, 35 says that the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. But the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. See, there is an accounting of the lives of people, a computing Every moment counts because I am accountable for every one of them. And so the sin, the accounting of the Amorites has reached its full measure. And so God visits Jericho. But he visits in such a strange manner, doesn't he? He comes, there's no edict, there's no proclamation. it's simply comes and they march. In fact, Joshua says nobody can say a word. Once a day for seven days, with the trumpet blowing, we're going to go around and around, just once, and come back. You know, even now, when a king comes into a town, the trumpets blow. Everyone recognizes the king coming in. Surely the folks at Jericho could recognize the one who made them. Surely they could have opened the doors and repented. Remember Nineveh? Jonah goes to preach, and they hear the word, and they repent. They open the doors... But the doors were not opened day one, or two, or three, or four. Because the people of Jericho looked down at this little thing going on around them. And in their heart of hearts they said, I am invincible, you cannot touch me. I wonder when they started laughing, whether it was day one or day two. So the trumpet blows. But there's a deeper significance to this trumpet. See, in the word Hebrew, the word trumpet, uh, which means ram's horn, also means jubilee. Jubilee, ram's horn, they mean the same thing. And that is because, in Leviticus 25, 8, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of seven years shall be 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet, the ram's horn, the jubilee, on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of Atonement, you shall sound the ram's horn throughout the land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So, what is going on here? The jubilee is being sounded around the land of Jericho. Around and around and around it goes founding continuously. This land is about to be reverted back to its owner. The one whom it belongs to. The one in which the accounting will be done of the people of Jericho and they will be found wanting. You know, it's not the first time this has happened, has it? Remember during the days of Noah? You know, when God saw the inclination of their heart and that everything they did was wicked. God says, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to have a jubilee. I'm going to restore things to their purity. I'm going to restore things to the way they're supposed to. You find it strange that they march around for seven days? What else was done in seven days? God created the heavens and the earth. See, what's going on here is no less than destruction and recreation. God taking that which is chaotic, chaotic due to sin, due to the rebellion, and devoting it to destruction that it may be recreated anew to be what it is supposed to be. The sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. The Jubilee is blowing. Condemnation and judgment is at hand. Well, I want to fast forward to our world for a little bit. Has the sin of planet Earth yet reached its full measure. Is there a trumpet call that is calling out? We see in First Corinthians 15 that when we hear the trumpets, who will come, the Lord, the Righteous One, who will come to judge the Earth, the quick and the dead? And so there is this march that seems to happen around planet Earth, so ignominious, bunch of guys with a cross going from place to place preaching about a dead guy named Jesus who will come back to judge the quick and the dead.
1: See, the question I have for you and I me mean, is this. Do you
0: see the storm? Do you see the reality of the world for what it is, what God is doing? God is righteous and holy. He will recreate the world into His likeness. And all who are against him will be devoted to destruction. We can lose focus amidst the busyness of our world and miss the bigger picture. I had a chance to be in Britain this week. Just kind of hopped over there, you know. uh, Redeemer has a Learjet, actually, so we just, you know, I needed some crumpets or something. No, actually, a friend of mine who's a professor was giving a conference on Jonathan Edwards at the University of Durham. I saw him in Roanoke, and, and uh, he said, Hey, I'm, I'm going, I want you to come to this conference with me. I said, Where's it at? He said, It's in Durham. Oh, no, sure, no problem. <laughs> I was talking about Raleigh-Durham. Oh, <laughs> it's in Durham. I said, I can't do that. Well, luckily, uh, my father-in-law is a big fan of me, and he had some frequent flyer miles. And the conference was, was, uh, was pretty darn cheap, so I got away over there, and I got to h- hang out for a while. But it's a very interesting place. You know, Lee Ellen, Bristol Rodriguez is from england and she shared with me once a little bit about her ancestor For some of these why some of her ancestors died during world war ii there were you know they would all go into the bomb shelters okay, but the british are a very proper people okay and it was tea time so they decided we're going to come out of the shelter we're going to go get some tea right makes perfect sense if you're british nevertheless timing was everything and that time it was poor And unfortunately, they passed away. See, in the midst of what's going on all around them, they lost track of the focus. They forgot the storm. They took their eyes off what was going on. But we cannot do that, my friends. So point one, my question for you is this. Do you see the storm? You're on the wall. What do you see? See, you're either mourning for the world, or you're embracing it. You're either friends with the world, or you're working to advance the agenda of God. See, you either have your walls way up high, you're invincible to this cross, this Jesus, or you've opened up your doors and asked the King of Glory to come in. See, we're either building a kingdom here, or embracing the new one that's coming now. One thing we cannot do is live unaware. He has come to make things right. And it begins with you seeing the storm and opening the doors of your heart and welcoming the King. We do not need to fear the past or the present or the future. Our circumstances may feel uncertain, but our salvation is not. If we have welcomed in this King of glory, we must recognize the storm. But we must also rest in the eye. I don't know if any of you have studied storms before, but it's very interesting. Anything that's a circular storm, like a cyclone or a tropical storm, whatever, these massive storms, they have an eye in the middle of it. In fact, the more, the larger the storm, the more defined the eye. And the eye of the storm is essentially an area, So, in like a huge storm, like 20 to 40 kilometers wide, uh, wide, where everything's calm. There's this massive eye wall all around the edge of it that's swirling. But everything is calm. In fact, you can look up and see the sun. It's beautiful. It's like there's no problems whatsoever. There's always an eye in the great storm. And there's someone resting in that eye right now. Her name is Rahab and her family. Joshua 6.17 And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers when we sent See, God has given the edict. It's time for recreation. We're going to wipe out everybody except Rahab. Now, I don't know if when you read that story you scratch your head and you go, well, wait a second. What about the women and children? What about the little kids? This, this is not fair. This is not right. I have discovered something about children. Do you know what small children are? They're small, evil people. <laughs> How did I know that? one of them. I was one of them. Watch children play. Children have absolutely no filter. What's cute about them is they're cute, and God's gracious hand is upon them. God's goodness He makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. But when a child wants something, they look around, they can't get it, they'll grab this and they'll grab the other. If they had a truck, they to use it, they'll use it. If they had a gun, they'd use it without any compulsion whatsoever. No filter. See, what happens is most of the world, when you grow up, you start to get filters about what you ought and not, not to do because you have parents. But if you look at the demagogues and you look at the dictators and you look at the worst people of the world, do you know who they are? They're grown-up children. They don't have a filter. They just have more weapons to use. See, God is gracious. All are consigned. All they are small, you know, they're just going to go up and do the same thing that everyone else is. Oh, that's not true. That's, oh, yes, it is. How do I know? Because I'm one of them. And so are you. <laughs> is your friend. Okay? But Rahab, wait a second. Rahab... Area, so she's probably a shrine prostitute for another God. And yet, God sees this person, she saves him. Somehow, Rahab sees the storm, she recognizes the righteousness of God, and she goes toward the eye. She didn't have to, she wanted to. See, God is not hostile to sinners, God is hostile to unbelievers. God's call is to sinners. Look at Jesus' ministry. Who does Jesus go to hang out with? Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. I'm going to come and hang out at your house tonight. And the crowd muttered, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Or the woman who lived a sinful life who came and took her hair and this perfume and the Pharisee muttered and said, if this guy knew who she was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. What about the woman caught in adultery? See, God is not hostile to sinners, only unbelievers. Does Rahab deserve uh, uh, salvation? No. Does her household deserve, deserve salvation? No. Does Israel deserve salvation? No. Do I res- reserve salvation? Deserve? No. Is God unfair? Yes. See, the question isn't why doesn't God destroy the Canaanites. The question is why does he save the Israelites and save Rahab? Why Rahab and why you and why me? Remember as a kid, I used to play a game with my sister. Little did I know at the time that my sister would grow up to be a CPA, a forensic forensic accountant with a master's in tax. Needless (laughs) to say, it was not a fair fight from the beginning. My sister was the banker. Now, a good banker is impartial. They're ruthless. They follow the rules irrespective of persons. Everybody in the beginning gets a certain amount of money, right? And you're supposed to use it to do what? To acquire To do something with it. The resources that you have to grow what's been given to you. But you go around, you make bad decisions, you land on other people's property, and you start paying. See, there's a way things work in the world, and there's a way things work in the human race. Each of us has been given. Everything you have is a blessing from God. and He says to go and use it and spend it for my glory. But there is a cost. We will have to give an account for every sinful word and careless word has been spoken every sin against God do I love him with all my heart mind soul and strength do I look lustfully upon other people do I covet my neighbors property do I do I all the things that I am supposed to do I find myself not doing and all the things that I'm not supposed to do whether by commission or omission see at the end of the day at the end of the game there is an accounting each of us will give an account for our lives But the problem is, I'm in arrears. I've overspent. I've overdrawn from other people. An impartial judge would throw me into bankruptcy. Is God fair? No. The question is not why God doesn't destroy the Canaanites. The question is why God saves the Israelites. See, whether you want to admit it or not, my friends, you and I owe a debt. Hebrews 10, 9, just as every man or woman is appointed wants to die and to face judgment. We must recognize that there is a storm coming, but we must also recognize that there is an eye of the storm. Did we not read in Ephesians 2, 1, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins? The God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead, it is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order to the coming ages that He might show the comparable riches of His grace. How are we to be saved, my friends? It's simple. Help me. I have no righteousness. I have nothing to give. All I can do is to humble myself and want to be saved. But we need not fear. We need not hide. What we must do is confess. Confess to the Lord. And hope for and pray for. And expect mercy. Because God has sent us not a judge. He sent us a savior. Now I don't know about you, but something's a little funny with this computation. Are you saying to me, Carlos, by the way, in order to be rich, It's not that you must be found not guilty. It's that you must be found righteous. It's not that you have a negative on your ledger. It's simply that you're of infinite worth. Well, how do you merit that? I don't have anything to give. But you're telling me that God gives me infinite wealth. He makes me able to stand before God... And to be proclaimed as righteous, in fact, even given the title of Son of God, that's bad math. Somebody's embezzling, or the money's coming from somewhere else. See, in one sense, God is not fair at all. On the other sense, He's very fair. Because all of this worth and merit and accomplishment that is given to me, has to come from someone. It's a beautiful story about Rahab. And you can see at the end of the story that she's taken out, away from the camp, away from the destruction, and she is slowly introduced in the camp. Do you know who Rahab is? She married Solomon, who fathered Boaz, who fathered Obed, who fathered Jesse, who fathered David. Rahab is the great-grandmother of David. The Canaanite prostitute giving the honor of being the great-grandmother of David. How's that possible? See, when Rahab was taken outside of the camp, somebody passed right by her. When Barabbas the murderer was set free, somebody took on his penalty. When she, Rahab, was taken outside the camp to safety, Jesus was taken outside the city to Golgotha, to a cross, to pain. That all of the sins that I had committed, all of the unrighteousness that I had, would be placed on Him. And yet all of the goodness and righteousness and character that He had merited by His life would be given to me. God fair? Heck no. He's good. He's righteous and he's merciful. To anyone who would call upon him. Even a Canaanite prostitute. The beauty of Jesus Christ is he died on the cross for our sins. Devoted to destruction. But because there was no sin to be found in him, death could not keep its hold on him. And three days later, this one, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven full of all glory to receive the seat above every other seat and the name above every name because he is infinite worth in himself. See, there may be a storm coming, my friends, but if you are a Christian, we have a safe place in the eye. God has called us out of the city to a place of safety. You may have an uncertain life right now. Life is throwing curveballs at you, but you know what? We rejoice in our Redeemer. Soon the battle will be over. And God has promised us by His blood on the cross that we have a place of honor in heaven. Not simply as people that made it in by the skin of our teeth, but rather because of the (coughs) goodness of the Lord. We're righteous in Him. It's not fair. To his son, yeah. You know, to us, no. That's the beauty and the scandal of the gospel. If you want the Lord, seek him and he'll find him. Ask him and he will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. For the Son of Man came to save sinners. It's not the healthy you, you need, a doctor, it's the sick. Recognize the storm, rest in the eye rejoice at the coming of our redeemer. By God's grace, let's pray. pray. Lord, I so thank you that you're not fair. I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to be fair and take the fairness from me. Lord, we humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are bankrupt, we have nothing to do. But we have the riches of Jesus Christ accrued to us by his love and his sacrifice. Thank you that you open wide the gates of heaven that we may come, that we may be celebrated, that we may stand without shame in your place, in your presence. Lord, help us to see this world for what it is, not to sell ourselves to it. Lord, help us amidst the storm to rest in the fellowship of believers, to proclaim the glory of the Lord, and help us to rejoice every day in the coming anticipation of the glory of the Lord that shall be revealed. When he comes in his Jew. They all of us Amen.